Hi, it's Josh from Under the Table Hot Sauce. I'm here with my friend, the star of the show, Jimmy Farrow. Yeah, what's up, JB? Nah, nothing. It's been a hot summer, and for all your barbecue needs, you can go to UndertheTableHotSauce.com. 13 unique flavors to choose from, created and bottled in a Long Island kitchen. UndertheTableHotSauce.com. Let's go chow, JB. Let's do it. All the flavor, twice the burn. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Luzi energy drink. Yeah, it's that good.
Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with episode four of the King's Bodyguard with your host, Grandmaster Dave Hebler. So we left off episode three talking about Elvis the Giver. Um, so Dave, continue where you left off at, man. You were saying Elvis would buy you six pieces of clothes, six suits, cars, jewelry. <laughs> he was just that type of guy. He took care of the people in his inner circle. And you were saying that's a pretty safe safe bet that he took care of you. If you were in his inner circle, you were taken care of. Oh, yeah. He, um, <clears throat> you know, I hardly know where to start. Mm -hmm. You know, but it all ties in with, um, you know, Elvis the person, what he was, what he really was like. And I think in our first session, I talked a little bit about Elvis the person. Uh, with the story about him giving me the uh, second car, uh, the Lincoln. And, um, but the uh, follow-up uh, on that was, and um, I'll jump into that at that point in time, which, which is kind of gives you the idea of what, what, what Elvis the person was like. <clears throat> It was a couple of months after he had given me that second car, the, the Lincoln. Uh, by the way, uh, that car is on display at Graceland right now, today. It's the purple Lincoln. So when y'all go there, say hi to my car, okay? <laughs> well, in any event, um, we're sitting around in his uh, in his bedroom, actually, we're sitting on his bed, on the edge of the bed. <clears throat> and we're talking, just chatting away, uh, enjoying each other's company, just having a good time, talking about this, that, and the other thing, talking about girls. We talked about girls a lot, by the way. And <laughs> for some reason, I just, uh, I, I, I just asked Elvis, out of the top of my head, I said, Elvis, have you have you got any idea at all <clears throat> about how many vehicles that you have bought and given away in the last, I don't know, couple of years? And he said, no, nah, and I don't care either. He says, hang on, I want to show you something. <clears throat> so he goes away and he comes back and he hands me a check made out to him in the amount of $100,000. Whew. This is, you know, 1974. We're talking $100,000. Wow. And um, he said, you know, Dave, I'm not stupid. And I realized full well that I couldn't buy the kind of goodwill and the kind of PR that I get whenever I buy somebody a car. He says, secondly, it seems like every time I do something good for somebody, like buy them a car, it comes back to me like 10 times over, like that check you got in your hand. He says, and lastly, it makes me feel good to make people happy. Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis Presley, 
the person. So yeah, he was a generous human being, but he was that way by his nature. It wasn't some kind of a contrivance. He didn't do it to try to get publicity. I mean, he was already the most famous human being on the face of the planet. And he knew it, by the way. He didn't, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> he didn't need to, you know, uh, resort to trickery in order to get uh, to get noticed. And he never did say, so, I mean, he was genuinely uh, unique. In my lifetime, the most generous human being I ever met. I've never met anybody like him, ever. And and I don't think you have either, probably. Mm -mm. So, I've never heard anyone gifting people cars before. That's amazing. I mean, like I said, he just made sure he went that extra mile to make sure the people who looked out for him, that were before him, he supported, he took care of. I mean, that's just an amazing testament to who he was as a man. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I was going through some uh, financial difficulties at the at the time and uh he offered me $50,000 in cash. Mm. I didn't take it, by the way. I never took money from Elvis Presley ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I took gifts, you know, jewelry coming out my ears. I took cars, I took clothing, uh, I mean, jackets, uh, jewelry, I mean, tons of jewelry. I mean, he gave me, he gave me a ring one time and told me it was his father's wedding ring. <laughs> it was like a four and a half carat diamond set in platinum. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he gave me a turquoise bracelet that was a thousand carats. He gave me a ruby ring, and there's a whole story about that. Yeah, that's what I wanted. I was going to ask you. you want to hear that. that story? Yes, please. I would love to hear that again. All right. We're getting on a plane to fly to Dallas to check in on the uh, progress of the renovations on the Lisa Marie, the big airplane. And there was Elvis and Linda and Marty Locker and me on the plane. And we're flying along <clears throat> and Elvis had this ring, <laughs> this monster of a ring on his finger. I said, Elvis, that is the gaudiest bauble I have ever seen in my life. Can I look at that ring? He said, sure. So he gave me the ring to look at. Now the ring was a 40 carat, 40, 40 carat natural star ruby. surrounded by 14 diamonds, 14 diamonds, all set in 18 karat gold. The ring weighed close to five ounces. I mean, 
It was heavy. So I put the ring on to try it on. And you're not old enough to remember, there used to be a comic book series uh, of a guy called The Phantom. Mm -hmm. And he was like Batman. But he had this ring of a, with a skull and crossbones on it. And he would punch the bad guys in the forehead and would leave that skull and crossbones <laughs> impression in the guy's forehead. And that's the thought that went through my mind when I put that ring on. And I'm going, wow, boy, I tell you what, you hit somebody with this and you will really leave a dent, you know, right? And I always started laughing. He said, look at this fool. <laughs> and I said, oh, so I took off the ring and I give it back to him, you know, right? And when I went to give it back to him, I dropped it on the floor. Boom, bam. I went, oh, geez. So then, so Elvis says, look at this fool. He's got a $50,000 ring on and he wants to hit somebody with it. And then he throws it on the damn floor. He said, just keep it. I said, what? He said, yeah, keep it. It's yours. I said, no, Elvis. I said, he said, no, man, you keep it. I want you to have it. Here's the deal though, you can sell that ring if you want to, do anything you want with it. The only thing I don't want you to do that as long as you own it, you're the only one that ever wears it. That was the condition, <laughs> I said, sure. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that was it. I wore that ring. Uh, after Elvis, I became a dealer in uh, various casinos in uh, all around uh, Nevada, Reno and Tahoe and Laughlin and Carson City and Menden. Uh, in fact, I spent 15 years as a dealer and a pit boss uh, in the casino business. And while I was a dealer, I would wear that ring. Now, here I am dealing cards. And the conversation would start and the tokes would start coming in. Boy, that was a toke making machine. I made more money wearing that ring, you know, dealing than anything. People were amazed with it. And I'd tell them the story and all of a sudden we're friends and, you know, and all of a sudden we're making, I'm making a lot of money. So, I mean, that was the story of the, that was the story of the ring, but uh, it was uh, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So I actually have a question that I've never asked you before, Dave, since I've known you, and this is interesting to me to find out. You always do this to me. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, in front of you a guys, million people. Yeah, so this is spontaneous on the spot, man. Um, <laughs> when, you guys did, when you guys did bodyguard work, security work, what have you for Elvis, was there like a formation you guys always went in or was it a different formation every time? Like, was there a structure, like say for example, you would be in the back, Sonny would be in the front, Red would be on the side. Was there a formation like that or was it always just different every time? Um, uh, it was uh, fairly similar. 
every time, but you know, it would change. We didn't really care if Red was over here and I was over here or vice versa or anything like that, you know. Okay. We we had the whole pattern down pretty pat. You know how we how we would do it. It was a the secret that we learned um, when body ironing out was, is this, don't stop, mm -hmm. just keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, that worked 100% of the time until those times when Elvis decided to stop. <laughs> mm. Then it got crazy. Because mm -hmm. uh, he would um, attract a crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, and, our, and he didn't mind walking in the middle of them either, you know, and for a security person from a security perspective, uh, that was the worst thing that, uh, that you could do. You never allow your client, you know, to, to get into that kind of a situation. Uh, he, he did it with regularity. Time. So what would you guys have to do if he did that? Like he broke away and went into the crowd his separate way. What would you, what was your, your guys' response to situations like that? I would just get over and get next to him. Mm -hmm. You know, so that um, I could intercede quickly if somebody uh, made a move. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they did do too, but they, they normally just wanted to hug him or you know, get a scarf or get a kiss or do something, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was my, that was my question for the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's kind of interesting. Nobody ever Thank asked you. Me. Thank you. Oh yeah, no. So, I mean, I know like you've received a lot of questions from fans over the years, man. And I know you've got some really interesting ones to share. What, are some of the more interesting questions you've received about Elvis? Like, what are some of the more interesting to you? That's not the same old rehashed questions. Because I'm imagining over the years, you've been asked the same thing probably a lot of times as well. Uh, yeah, they, um, they often fit into categories. You know, there'll be a lot of questions about the same subject. Mm -hmm. um, which I can answer, you know, with the same answer for all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I try to treat e each one of them individually, even though I've heard that kind of a question before. Mm -hmm. So, uh, because they always have uh, a different one is. Um, sometimes they're just like, the answer is yes, or the answer is no, here's one of those questions to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. this, guy is, uh, this guy's name is Graham. And Graham says, first off, thank you for keeping Elvis safe and being a loyal friend. Mm -hmm. My question is, did Elvis ever take yourself or any of the guys back to Tupelo to the house where he grew up? And if so, when was this? And was this the first or the last time? Hello, Graham. Speaking personally, 
Elvis never took me to Tupelo, and I have never been there in my life. <laughs> That's the answer to that one. Oh, they get weird. Sometimes they don't make sense. And they're kind of like off the topic. Uh, and here's one like that. This is from Pablo. And Pablo says, hi, from Spain. Where do you live? Where was the last time you talked with Elvis? Thanks from Spain. Hi, Pablo. I live in Texas. Last time I talked with Elvis is the day before I was fired. <laughs> That's the answer. Well, here's another one of those long-winded ones. This is from Ian. And um, Ian says, Hi, Dave. Have you had an opportunity to watch the trailer for the new Elvis bio picture? If so, what are your views on what you have seen? Well, Ian... I, I did see the uh, trailer, and my short answer is that I liked it, and I'll probably go see the full movie when it does come out. That's it. And here's another one from uh, Thomas. And Thomas says, hi, Dave. I just watched the interview with you and my friend Rob at Always Elvis Fan Club. Always wanted to say this to you and Red and Sonny. You guys could never be responsible for what Elvis did to himself. You all were not doctors, therapists, etc. You were all caught up in a bad situation. A great entertainer that lost his way, aided by doctors and there and became dependent on drugs. <clears throat> Writing a book out of hurt and bitterness, as Sonny said, is understandable, especially read and Sonny after all the years of service. People keep forgetting that Elvis is gone for the very reason you guys wrote about and tried to help him with his drug dependence, as you said. How do you protect a man from himself? Said, and said without judgment. A shame Elvis could not have conquered this. No doubt you guys tried. All the best, Tommy. Well, you know, Tommy, I would... Uh, 
I just like to say something briefly about this and then um, let it go to another session because I have um, I have a whole lot to say uh, about the drug thing. I will say that I originally believed that Elvis Elvis's death was caused directly by drugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I later learned, got more, and of course, I wasn't there when Elvis died. Red and Sonny and I were let go about a year before Elvis died. So we weren't there. We weren't went to witnesses or anything like that. So my information is hearsay, it's secondhand information. But it's pretty good information because it comes from the guys that were actually were there uh, when the uh, when the episode took place when Elvis actually died. And to repeat, I originally thought uh, uh, when we wrote the book actually that um, Elvis's death was caused primarily by um, by drugs. Information that I that uh, I received later on caused me to change my mind, and I no longer believe that Elvis died as a result, a direct result, of uh, of drugs. Rather, I believe that um, his drug dependence. Um, contributed to his physical condition, which led up to a massive heart attack. So I think drugs were a contributing factor in that whole, um, that whole period of time leading up until the actual episode of, that killed him. Um, but it was not the primary cause. Um, and I was persuaded for a number of reasons. One of the, one of the reasons was that somebody pointed out to me that when that Elvis died a violent death, you know, he almost bit his tongue in half. I mean, it was a violent death. And drug, uh, drug deaths aren't like that. People just like go to sleep and die, you know, <laughs> from uh, uh, drug overdoses. So there is that factor. <clears throat> and um, testimony from, from people, doctors and uh, scientists who know a whole lot more about that subject than I do, um, have all contributed to my to, to my belief today that drugs, um, that, that Elvis really had three kind of drug issues, if you will. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that. Uh, the issue would, one is that he legitimately had physical ailments 
and he was prescribed medications for those particular physical ailments. Uh, that's totally legitimate. I mean, I, I take heart medications right now. You know, I have physical conditions that are, um, that my doctors have uh, uh, prescribed, you know, certain drugs for me, um, which uh, are all therapeutic and they all work and that's fine. So that's one, one of the issues. Second issue uh, was the drugs that were being set in by other doctors. Here you got Dr. Nick trying his best to uh, help his patient. Mm -hmm. And all the while, drugs are coming in from other doctors. I remember Elvis was in the hospital from a drug over, uh, reaction. And I was in the room next to him. And I intercepted a bottle of pills from another doctor. A thousand pills. <laughs> a thousand pills from another doctor. How in the world is Dr. Nick supposed to get a handle on, uh, you know, caring for his patient when his patient is getting uh, medications from other doctors that Dr. Nick knew nothing about? Crazy. Well, it's pretty safe to say that Elvis, because of his celebrity status and who he was, could pretty much fly into any city in the country and to any area and have the doctor prescribe or overprescribe any type of medication he wanted at any time. Is that pretty safe to say? Um, yeah, he could, get, he could get whatever he wanted, you know, from wherever. And that was the third part. Then there's the third category, and this is the first time I'm bringing this up. Uh, I might even surprise you with this, Tim. Mm -hmm. The third issue that Elvis had was not with the prescription drugs, but with the feel-good drugs, like the Demerol and the cocaine and that, that kind of stuff. And those drugs weren't issued by doctors necessarily. Mm -hmm. They were brought in by people close to Elvis. Mm -hmm. The enablers. The people that were bringing in drugs, the feel-good drugs, in order to get a reward from Elvis, like a new car, stuff like that. To give you an example, his brother, Ricky, actually publicly stated that he was an enabler. He was one of the people bringing in all of those side drugs. But he wasn't the only one. I don't want to name names. I'm not really interested on a crusade, and I don't want to... Uh, you know, start a war with anybody or anything like that. But people need to know <clears throat> that the feel-good drugs were um, brought in people that were pretty close to Elvis. 
So that's the issue of the uh, of the drug thing, as far as uh, as far as I'm concerned. You know, there are other. Let me just add this. Pardon. I believe that you guys, you specifically, you Red West and Sunny West, I believe you guys were fired because you guys were the only men around Elvis that would actually stand up and say what was right and what was wrong. In other words, you guys were not yes men. Um, that's true. <clears throat> we did the best we could to try to um, help um, somebody that we, uh, that we cared for, somebody we loved, really, who we thought was killing themselves with all of these, you know, extraneous drugs. And we wanted to stop that. We wanted to help him. We wanted to, we wanted him to realize what he was doing, not only to himself, but all of the people around him, you know, with all, with all of those, all of those drug things. Um, and we're, we're not doctors. We weren't doctors. We didn't know what to do. We just tried to do the best that we could with the situation that we had at the time. <clears throat> um, and we tried and we failed. We tried and we were fired. So we thought if we would uh, make it all public, that would force him to realize that he had this problem and maybe, just maybe, it would motivate him to get the kind of help, the kind of professional help that we felt he needed in order to get rid of that, that horrible dependence. And we were crucified for it. Crucified. Some of that still is around today. Not very much, but some of it's still there. People hating on me so bad that they say the most vilest things that they possibly can think of to attack me and, you know, through their ignorance. Um, I don't know, somehow try to hurt me. Doesn't work. Because for every nasty thing that comes my way, I get 10 more friends. So that's what it is, brother. Yeah. It's a lot easier looking outside than being part of something. And you were there, you were around it, you were part of that scene and the thing is you guys did everything in your power to try to save elvis from elvis but nobody could save elvis from elvis because your classic line is how do you save a man from himself how do you save anybody from themselves you can't it's impossible you can't <clears throat> i don't care how much you love somebody how much you care about somebody you can't mm -hmm. save them from themselves you cannot right you cannot Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if um, any of y'all that are listening uh, have had 
the experience of uh, not uh, of yourself or you know, perhaps a member of your family um, who is addicted to um, to uh, drugs. Uh, I hope I hope not. I hope nobody ever is, because it's a horror. It's a nightmare, mm -hmm. and you are totally helpless to do anything about it, because until that person quits, until that person stops, until that person gets the right help, there ain't nothing you can do. If there is, I'd like somebody to tell me what it is, because I don't know what it is. None of us do. Yeah. But everyone remembers Elvis, the person, you know, the personality, the entertainer, the performer. But uh, very few people like yourself really knew his inner life, you know. And um, I think this is the end of actually episode five, let's see, four, episode four. Actually, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, so, so that's done. We'll be coming back, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, with uh, episode five here in a minute. So uh, we're providing some great content today from Dave, Mr. Dave Hebler on the King's Bodyguard broadcast. And we will be back with you in a moment. Thank you very much. Thank you.